For Manchester Bidwell Corporation in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, I'm Jonathan Zito. If you walk down the hall of our building at any time of day, there's almost no chance of predicting who will pass you in the other direction. Sometimes it's a man in burgundy red scrubs, or a woman in a chef's hat and a uniform, or a teenager with a camera hanging around their neck, or a teaching artist covered in clay, or a guitarist, or a line of people in lab coats. That's the life of Manchester Bidwell Corporation. We are a multifaceted educational and cultural institution made up of affiliated organizations that have a broad range of priorities. Bidwell Training Center is our adult career school. Manchester Craftsman's Guild, our arts and culture affiliate, is made up of two parts, MCG Youth and Arts, which is an after-school program that does youth development through the arts, and MCG Jazz, a performance venue and recording studio dedicated to jazz music. All of this came together under the vision and leadership of Bill Strickland more than 50 years ago. Over the subsequent decades, there have been countless evolutions and developments in what this web of missions and visions has been, but ultimately, we still have one aim, to remove barriers to opportunity so that people can find out what they're capable of. Since 2018, Manchester Bidwell has been under the leadership of its second president and CEO, Kevin Jenkins. With a business, company, or in our case, a nonprofit, sometimes it can be easy to lose track of the individual people who make it possible. So for this first episode, I wanted to sit down with Kevin, not only to put down the broad strokes of who and what we are as an organization, but to also put a larger context around him as a leader and as an individual. Like all our conversations, we're coming to you with our honest experiences, our passion for serving and helping others, and to hopefully inspire hope, light, and goodwill toward one another. I think you'll find that this conversation, like the work we do, is done in earnest. So where where did you grow up? Um, McKeesport. McKeesport, okay. Um, Was your family all all Pittsburgh-ish? Primarily from the Mon, Mon Valley. So I lived in McKeesport until half halfway through seventh grade. Mm. Um, but um, we had always uh, boarded horses. So obviously it was a little challenging to keep a horse in McKeesport. Yeah, so I was going to say, I didn't realize that you could <laughs> yeah, do that over there. <laughs> yeah, so my father had always, you know, looked for opportunities to rent a barn, you know, to keep horses. And at one time we had four grown horses, two ponies. Wow. Um, you know, so that was, you know, was it kind of like a rural lifestyle for you then? Um, not necessarily, not okay. until I moved. So okay. when we moved, uh, we moved to Elizabeth where my parents had their home until their passing, li- actually Lincoln borough in Elizabeth township. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father bought that property and, uh, halfway through seventh grade at the Christmas break in seventh grade, I moved from McKeesport junior high school mm. to, uh, South Allegheny Junior High School. Okay, okay. Was that a big? Was that a kind of a, sh- a culture shock? Uh, I, I as a rebellious teenager, I was adamant I wasn't moving, I wasn't going. And, <laughs> You're just going to uh, stay in yeah, board my, fa- my father let me entertain that fantasy until uh, the last of the moving truck was loaded up and everybody was in the car and he said, get in the car, I'm <laughs> done with this conversation with you. <laughs> um, but to 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 that point um it was probably the best experience really? in my in my entire life uh soon after that um the, you know kind of the revitalization movement came through McKeesport mm. the house got torn down oh wow um you know drugs and crime and things like that really took hold mm. uh in, in the city and um 
I met friends in seventh grade that, uh, you know, there's a group of five of us that are still my best friends to this day. Mm. So it, um, when you moved, you mean when I moved? Yeah, moved yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was the best mm. uh, uh, thing that he could have ever done for yeah. me and the family. Um, when, when you think about that, do you think of it as a, as a as a move from like urban to rural or was it a little bit? Suburban to suburban, or what? What? Um, it was um, now where I grew up in McKeesport. It was it was definitely urban, mm. um, and you know. Then so we went from you know a duplex home in on Ninth Street, McKeesport, mm. that's no longer there. Yeah. Um, to ten acres in Elizabeth wow. Township, wow. complete with barn and yeah, you yeah. Know, horses and you know lots of acreage, lots of land. Right. So, so you were there, were you there like through high school? All through high school. Through yeah. School. Yeah. Graduated from South Allegheny high school. Okay. And then where'd you go to college? Uh, Penn state, Penn state. Un- okay. undergrad, uh, did four years in uh, university park and okay. state college, uh, in, uh, social work. No, actually psychology. Psychology. Yeah, yeah. Okay. psychology is my major. And then uh, when I graduated from Penn State, I started working at a nonprofit here in the city called Holy Family Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, got hired as a child care specialist, yeah. whatever, whatever that meant. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Holy Family because I, yeah. I, I personally, you know, we've talked a little bit about kind of where you where you come from and your sort of the social worker mindset that you yeah, bring yeah, yeah. to what you do now. But I'm just kind of, I kind of want to get a sense of, you know, I mean, you're there for over 20 years at Holy Family in some capacity, right? Yes. Yeah. So you come in pretty green probably as a psych major. Fresh out of college. And that and and it's interesting because these days I feel like people move around so much yeah. in yeah. their work. They you know the, their entry level job then turns into something leadership wise but somewhere else. Right. And they just come, but I mean you were there for like for 20 years. That's that's like a long time to be in but you moved a lot of positions right. there, right? Right. Um what what drew you to what they were doing after college? Well, uh, other than I needed a job, <laughs> which is enough to draw somebody anywhere, right? Yeah, but 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 I can honestly say, you know, kind of looking back, um, you know, in a sense, the job found me. Mm. Um, throughout my childhood, you know, I, I was kind of that always that guy who was the broker to you know kind of maintain peace, or mm. you know, was the guy that you know gave you the sympathetic ear if right, you had right, a, right. if something was going on, you know, and, it, and my mother used to point that out to me all the time that, you know, I always had that type of empathy or right. compassion for somebody else if they were struggling, if they were hurting. Um, but I really never, and even though I chose, you know, psychology as a major, which I was really, really interested in, and that had a lot to do with my high school psych teacher who really got me interested mm. in, uh, you know, you know, psychology as a possible profession. Um, so when I, when I graduated from college, I had, you know, kind of kicked around a number of different, uh, ideas as to what I wanted to do with this degree. And, um, my mother worked with a woman whose son worked at Holy Family at the time. And she came home and said, Hey, this organization that does counseling and therapy and takes care of kids, Mm. um, or that they're, they're hiring. Um, and, uh, I, I looked into it, applied and the rest is history. Yeah. So you're a child care specialist yeah. to start. Live in child care specialist, which at what the time, does that mean? <laughs> which at the time my schedule was, I lived at the facility, okay. um, five days on, four days off, four days on, five days off. Wow. And that was the rotating and on schedule. And pretty much the whole time that you when there. you were there. When you were there, if the night worker didn't show up or there was an issue on the wow. unit, they yeah. called you. Yeah. 
Um, that's intense. Yeah, it was it, it, it was a, an intense learning experience. Yeah. And so, what are you dealing with kids with? What kinds of needs? In uh, that, in kid, that kids who primarily remanded into placement uh, by family court due to abuse and neglect <sighs> issues. So, so heavy, heavy stuff. A lot, a lot. Yeah. Um, and then, what, what, so you did that work for how many years? Uh, in that capacity. Jeez, uh, I was a living child care specialist for a couple years, and then uh, one of the therapists at the facility uh, was opening what was called a children's partial hospitalization program, an outpatient clinic mm. for kids. Okay. Um, I had uh, some experience doing outpatient group therapy as part of my externship okay. through Penn State at, at Harrisburg State Hospital. Um, and even though I had not been at Holy Family you know, as long as some of the other applicants, I got the job. And okay. then from there, became a child and family therapist. And then that's when I got into administration. I started supervising people. And uh, when I left the organization, I was the executive director of Holy Family Social Services. Wow. Wow. It's, it's, it's great to see kind of that progression, because then when I think about what we do here, it you know, it's different. Obviously, we don't we're not doing like live in care or anything like that. But the the spectrum of of needs that we're trying to meet right. requires a pretty open mind to whatever has to be done. Right. right. You know, and, and I know you and I both have this experience working in some capacity for all of the affiliates in different ways. You have to kind of mentally code switch constantly between adult career training and now it's a youth issue and now right, it's a right. musician is coming and now there's like a broken window at the greenhouse it's just and it's just like it's a constant sort of change but i have to imagine that being in that kind of a a social care setting requires you to be like a rubber band all oh, the oh, time. Con constantly um it, you know and i think that's one of the things that drew me to this opportunity here um, you know, and, and, you know, coming from philanthropy, uh, mm -hmm. which I, and it was kind of the same kind of trajectory. I, I, yeah, that's Pittsburgh I Foundation. yeah at the Pittsburgh yeah. Foundation, I got hired as, you know, senior program officer for health and human services, mm -hmm. um, you know, and then did a couple different things there when I, but by the time I left, I was a vice president for public policy. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but I think the common thread through out that journey, even at Holy Family, what it prepared me for in the Pittsburgh Foundation, and now even here, it's it's about people first, mm -hmm. um, you know. So on the kid, you know, and, and I remember having this conversation with a friend of mine who who lives in in Tampa. Um, you know, he had call, I was in the music hall listening to one of the bands a, a few seasons ago. They just, you know, they just showed up and were, uh, were, were doing a sound check. And, you know, so I kind of want, I heard the music and kind of wandered there and I was sitting, he called me and, you know, when I answered the phone, he heard the music. So I stepped out and he said, Hey, are you off today? And I said, no, I'm, I'm at work. And he said, well, wait a second. I thought you had an after school youth program. I said, well, we do. And he said, and then I remember you saying something about adult career training. I said, yeah, we do that too. He said, but there's live music. I said, well, yeah, we have a jazz program. And uh, he just kind of laughed. And he said, you know, every time I think I figured out what it is you do for a living, <laughs> I haven't, I have a conversation with yeah. you and then I'm completely confused again. Yeah. But yeah. I, but I think it is that kind of brain switching and like no two days are right. the same. Right. Um, which you know keeps things fresh. It keeps yeah. me it keeps it keeps me energized. I'm excited about the work. Yeah. Um. Instead of you know, it's not this mundane routine right, right. that I go through each and every right, day. Right. And every day I'm meeting you know. So much like at Holy Family, 
on any given day, I can wander into one of the studios and talk to one of our young students about, you know, what are you working on or why did you choose this class or, you know, how was your day in school today? Mm -hmm. And the same goes for our adult learners. I can, you know, I see them in the cafeteria and say, hey, how's your day going? You know, you know, what, what was exciting today? What did right, you learn today? Right, right, what could right. we be doing better, at, right. you know, as a school? So, right. and then on the weekends, I get to hear some great jazz music. Right, right. So, not, you know, not, not a ba- bad. Yeah, not, not, yeah, yeah, not a bad gig. Yeah. When, when you were at Holy Family and then changing to the Pittsburgh Foundation, I feel like there's often a divide between the sort of frontline service providers mm-hmm. and then the philanthropic community that supports the, those. Yeah. Was that a weird jump um well not for me um many um you know the 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 job that i that i was able to uh secure at the foundation you know a lot of uh of my friends and colleagues on the service provider side you know those were the most coveted jobs Mm. um you go to a foundation and you give away money Mm. um i wish it were that easy which it's not there's a whole lot that goes into grant making uh, that I think a lot of people just don't understand. Um, but I think the advantage that it gave me was when I'm meeting with many of those nonprofit uh, leaders, uh, many of whom were friends, you know, were mm-hmm. colleagues, um, I could have a real conversation with them about their programs, about what they were doing, mm-hmm. what they were proposing. Yeah, from their perspective. Right, right. So, you know, and there were many times, um, you know, not an inordinate amount, but many times where at the end of the conversation, it was a, you know, no, um, mm. you know, I, I know that you're not going to be able to pull this off. You know, you're not going to be able right. to pull it off. Right. Oftentimes, let's have a conversation about, you know, what you are doing mm. or what's going to make best sense for your organization. Right. Um, and oftentimes it was no doesn't mean no forever. Mm. Um, it just means what you're proposing right now is not going to fit maybe our funding pro- uh, priorities or portfolios. Mm. And um, since I so I know your your organization so intimately, um, you know, it's not going to work and I know it's not right, going to work. Right. Or if we take a chance or we take a risk, you know, I can get you funding for one year, but when that year is done, the program's going to go away. Right. And that's not fair to the people that you serve. Right. So, right. Which, and that, that's the thing that I think stands out from that sort of um, synthesis of experiences is that you're thinking, and I, and I've heard you say this so many times before here too, when we do things like remember you're serving kids, people in need, right. you know, this you can come and go, but they need something stable. That's right. That's and right. if you're going to get into this work, do it, do it right. Right. And right. And, and think through those things. And you know, it, it's funny you say that because you know, just last week I, um, you know, met with one of our professional athletes in the city who, um, was very much interested in seeing what we do, learning what we do, because he was interested in doing an after school program back in his hometown. Mm. And as we were having the conversation and having lunch. He asked me point blank, he said, are there any words of advice that you can give me as I continue to think about this and get started? And I said, um, you can't do the work just a little bit. Mm. So if you're interested in, and I applaud you for saying, I want something better for the kids in the neighborhood that I grew up. I want to give them something constructive that they can do. Um, You got to be all in. So either you're going to be committed to doing it or don't. Right. Um, because the worst thing that you can do is get everybody excited and get these, mm. you know, get the kids hopes up about, right. oh, this program's going to be here and I can do this activity mm. or I can be engaged in this conversation and it goes away. Right. Did you see that happen often when you were 
either at Holy Family, I imagine if staff changed, kids have to readjust, or then on the Pittsburgh Foundation side, programs that seem promising that then go away and kind of the impact it would have. Yeah, you know, I, I, I start with on the grant making side, you know, um, there's always a certain degree of risk when you're doing things like that, particularly if it's a new program. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I was a big fan of and still am of piloting different ideas mm -hmm. instead of, you know, we're just going to go in 150 percent. Right. You right. know, let, let's kind of massage the right, idea. Right. Like pilot do the, it. try the work. See. That's right. See, see, what if, it's see like. if it makes yeah. sense. See if we need to tweak. See if, mm -hmm. you know, if there's a different iteration that that will come from the work and the conversations. Um, but, you know, even when I, when I was at Holy Family, yeah, people come and go. But I think the most thing, the, the thing that's most important, particularly when you're dealing uh, with kids who, who, who come from abusive or neglectful backgrounds, is, you know, that sense of stability. Mm. Um, you know, and, and it's not that, you know, I'm going to be here forever, but you need to trust that, you know, whoever's, you know, coming along behind me is going to have the same level of commitment right. and care right. that you, that I hope you experience for me. And that was one of the things that, um, helped me make the decision to move on from Holy Family to the Pittsburgh Foundation is, you know, I believed in my heart that I was making a positive difference in the, in the lives of the kids who were remanded into care there. Mm -hmm. And I thought with the portfolio that was being offered to me at the foundation, how many more kids and families mm -hmm. could I take, mm -hmm. take care of? Um, right. so, so that was kind of the, the kind of deciding factor that I could reach more kids and families through you know, the network of nonprofit organizations in the city. What, how long were you at Pittsburgh Foundation? Uh, almost 10 years. Almost 10 years. Yeah. So how did, did you know about Manchester Bidwell when you were there or, or earlier? Absolutely. Um, when I was at Holy Family Institute, and it's one of the things I said, and, and I'm sure you've heard me say this all the time, I refer to the youth kids as my kids. Right. Um, because I firmly believe they're my kids. Mm -hmm. um, but when I was at Holy Family, the kids in care there used to come to Manchester Craftsman's Guild for art classes. Mm. So I was really, really happy to see when I got here that there was still this working relationship with Holy Family with Holy where Family, the kids right. were still coming right. here right. for right. art classes. Right. So when you're at Pittsburgh Foundation, did it feel like, okay, I had my period of being the front line of care and now I'm on the philanthropy side and this is just what, or did you kind of have a sense like maybe I might want to get back onto that sort of like frontline interacting with, with the, the people that I'm serving. No, I, I never thought in, you know, in my foundation colleagues and friends thinking, you know, you, you've kind of reached Nirvana, man. Mm. Like you're going to go back to you the just provider side of things. show up with the checks. Everybody's happy <laughs> yeah, to see you, know, you there. Yeah. Right. But, uh, you know, I, I never thought, uh, that I would go back to the provider side. Mm. Um, and if it were a different nonprofit organization, um, I probably would have not uh, agreed to the opportunity. Yeah. Um, but this, you know, Manchester Bidwell Corporation, it's such a unique place. Right. Um, and it checked all the boxes for me in terms of its mission, the populations being served, mm. um, the commitment of the people that are here. Um, but, but again, had it not been this place, I probably would have really hesitated and said, nah, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. How did it come along? How did, how did the, the opportunity come um, so I'm told, um, you know, and I, and I like saying this, you know, I was minding my own business and quite <laughs> happy and content with what I was doing at the Pittsburgh foundation. And, 
Um, I do remember we we have have it's a committee called the Program and Policy Committee, which is the grant making arm of the foundation. I did a presentation on uh, a public policy initiative I was working on, and just so happens Bill Strickland is one of the directors at the foundation, mm-hmm. and uh, he's sitting there hearing me do my presentation and um, where I was going with the portfolio and. Uh, the next day, he gave me a call and said, you know, hey, would you uh, meet me at Starbucks in Market Square? Because our offices were downtown at mm-hmm. PPG. Um, you know, let's have a cup of coffee. And I'm thinking, sure. I've known Bill for 30-plus years. Right. Did you know um, him back in Holy Family? Like, oh, yeah. you know him you know, personally? Yeah, Bill was one of the EDs that I felt very comfortable mm. um, picking up the phone and calling, you know, particularly when I, when I was uh, promoted to executive director. Mm. Um, you know, he was one of those guys that I could call and say, you know, I, I'm not quite sure how to figure this out or right, how does right. this work with my county contract. Um, mm. That I could call and ask him, and he was always, you know, more than gracious enough to say, "Sure, man, you know, let's meet. I, you know, I'll walk you through it, or I'll give you, you know, what I think it, right. you know, is going on." Um, so I did know him. I knew of the organization. Obviously, the kids from Holy Family were coming here, um, but he asked me uh, during during that first cup of coffee at Starbucks. You know, you know he uh, was pretty point blank and said, As "You know, he is. <laughs> what, <laughs> yeah. do you, what do you think about coming to work with me?" Mm. Um, which, of course, you know, with, with this, with who Bill is in this organization was a huge honor. Yeah. Um, and I remember I said something to the effect that, well, you know, I have a job, right? Since you're on the board and, <laughs> right. uh, you know, and it, you know, he kind of laughed and said, look, let, um, you don't have to answer today. Just think about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and it's no secret, you know, Bill had some pretty serious health issues, which I wasn't even aware of at the mm-hmm. time, you know, being a double lung trans transplant, uh, recipient, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, it, you know, it was always in the back of my mind. And actually, at, at the same time, I was, you know, the foundation was going through a leadership change. I had had an offer to move to upstate New York to head up a small to midsize uh, community foundation, which was also very intriguing mm. to me. But nothing really felt right. Mm. Um, so I just kind of logged it away and went about my business. And periodically over the next, you know, four to six weeks, I'd run into Bill at the grocery store. Mm. I'd run into Bill at the you know, dry cleaners or wherever, right, just, right. You know, which, you know, I would rarely run into him. Yeah. And I, I remember making a joke once, I think it was at the dry cleaners. And I said, well, are you stalking me or something? <laughs> and he said, no, I just think the stars are trying to tell us something that mm. maybe we need to pay attention to my offer. Um, so he called me again a couple of days later and said, all right, let's have a, another cup of coffee. Mm. I want to see where your head is. And, um, you know, and I walked in and got my coffee and sat down and, um, he looked at me and he said, so, all right, no more BS. You want to come and work for me or what? <laughs> um, and in that moment I thought, you know, yeah, let, let's do this. Bill. Wow. Let's, yeah. uh, um, again, I, I, it, it wasn't a good time for me with my daughter to move to New York. Right. Um, you know, wasn't sure where, uh, the, the community foundation here in Pittsburgh was going with their, with their, uh, involvement with public policy work. And here was Strickland. And I thought, yeah, yeah you know, it, it's it's something I'm passionate about. Right. It's something well, and you that, knew the values. I knew the, knew values. the values. I, you too. know, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I knew the organization. I, I knew the founder. Mm. Um, so I, I took a leap of faith and here I am. Yeah. So you came on as a COO in 2015. Yes. Yes. What? So I know what it's like to come here to like be aware of it, but then to come work here and take in all of that different activity that's going on and try to synthesize it in my brain into something coherent. What was that initial sort of 
kind of being thrust into everything that's <laughs> happening here. What was that transition yeah. like? Um, it wasn't much of a transition. I'll say. <laughs> it was um, just like here. <laughs> yeah, my, uh, my, my first day at work, uh, Bill called a meeting and it was the leadership team, which is, you know, the, the heads of all of the affiliates and all of the departments. We met in the boardroom. Um, I, I knew Marty Ashby a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and surprisingly, I knew our HR director, Tom Fowler, because Tom used to work for me at Holy Family okay. at the Children's Hospital uh, Children's Hospitalization Program. So I knew Tom, and I, I didn't even know Tom was here. Oh, okay. Um, you know, so I'm looking around, and Bill introduced me. This is Kevin, our new COO. Um, and this is your team. Everybody introduced themselves, and he pretty much said, for those of you who know Kevin, okay, but for those of you who don't, you'll quickly get to know him. Um, to which, you know, and he walked out of the room and I, you know, had asked, well, how often do you guys meet with the current COO? And they said, we don't. And I said, you don't have regular, you know, checking no. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, that's the first thing I'd like to do is kind of get everybody on my schedule weekly. Right. I wanted to, wanted to meet with everybody just to try to figure out who's doing what. Right. And right. How is it, how is it connected and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. Um, but this, my second day on the job, uh, you know, Bill walked in my office. I remember it was around lunchtime. He had his jacket on. And he said, you know, how's it going, man? And I said, oh, everything's good. I said, I finally you know, remember the right way to get to the men's room and back. So, you know, <laughs> we're making progress. And he chuckled. He goes, all right, um, well, I'll, I'll check you out later. And I said, okay, see you. And I went back to work. The following day, his assistant said, hey, did Bill let you know um, he's going to be going to um, L.A.? And I said, no, he didn't mention it. When, when's he going? And she said, um, yesterday. <laughs> I said, okay, um, when's he coming back? She said, oh, I don't know, I think a week and a half, two weeks. <laughs> so I said, okay. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I didn't panic. And, you right. know, and I thought, well, if nothing else, that portrayed a certain degree of trust right. um, and comfort, comfort level with me being here mm-hmm. that, you know, my second day on the job, it's like, I have things to do. You have things to do. And, um, you know, and that's just kind of the easy relationship that we've had. I, I let him know before I said yes that, um, you know, for obvious reasons, I'm not him. He's not right, me. Right. I'm not going to do things the way that he did uh, for the years that he was running the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had just asked for you know, if he's going to put me in that role that he, he give me that opportunity and authority to kind of do things my way and he promised me that he would um and so far um we've never had that have that difficult conversation where he's gone back on his promise right right so then you took over as ceo in 2018 yes right and and bill is now titled as our founder and executive chairman was there other than the obvious sort of responsibility change from coo to ceo ceo what what did that change feel like to you in terms of being kind of handed, you know, it's one thing to be the operating officer where, right, right. you know, you're kind of fielding things as they come up, keeping right, tabs right. on stuff, keeping the plates spinning, but knowing ultimately the buck stops next door. Sure. Uh, that change to kind of take on the legacy of Manchester Bidwell right. as the CEO, what, what, what did that feel like? Um, and, and I think you nailed it. it. It's, you know, when you're the operations guy, it's, you know, you're, you're keeping the trains running. Mm-hmm. Um, as the CEO, um, I found myself um, thinking more strategically about the future of the organization, you know, kind mm-hmm. of. And it doesn't mean years out. It's, it's kind of like, what are we doing in the short term? Right. 
Um, what's that going to look like three, five, seven years out from now? Right. And that's not to suggest that I would not, um, you know, share with Bill some of my thinking and where mm-hmm. I was going. Um, but it was more information sharing versus asking for permission. Mm. Um, you know, he, he's here and it's, it's like, you know, this is what I'm thinking about right, doing right, with right. the youth program or, mm. you know, some of the new training programs that I'm entertaining for the adult career training program. Mm. So, um, it, it, it was, you know, an elevated sense that, um, the buck really does stop here. Mm. Um, but at the same time, it was, it was exciting because I did have and still do have a remarkable forward thinking team Mm -hmm. that I get to work with and bounce ideas off Mm -hmm. of. But, you know, it's a different level of responsibility when you're the CEO. All of a sudden, you know, I'm just not the supporting cast in a board meeting. Mm -hmm. It's my meeting that I'm reporting out on. So all of those things are, you know, my relationship with the CFO in terms of doing budgets and, Mm -hmm. you know, what dollars do we have, you know, to spend for certain things. Um, It's a, it's a completely different immersion in different responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And what about, I have to imagine there there must've been a little bit of, I don't know if apprehension is the right word, but I mean, Bill's, Bill's story has been kind of like, it's in the brick and mortar of this building so much. Sure. And, you know, I know that, I've I've seen nonprofits really struggle with that change mm-hmm, mm-hmm. between leaders, and, and that 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 can be true in a small nonprofit, in a giant multinational corporation. It can be true in a in a church. It can be in all of these different settings. Right. Changing leadership is often where the baton gets dropped. Yeah, and yeah. like you've we've been talking about, the first people to really feel the impact of that are the people being served right. by that organization. And yet, it seems like you've managed something that I don't see happen very often, which is this sort of, at least what appears on the public side to be a seamless transition of leadership. Sure. What do you think, what do you think you guys sort of cracked there that maybe other people don't get right when they're making that big change? You know, no, I think, um, it was a recognition on, on both of our parts. Um, you know, me respecting and acknowledging, the foundation that Bill laid a number of years ago. Um, You know, I I also knew um, my predecessor, you know, Jesse, uh, Mm -hmm. before he passed and the work that he had done. Um, But I think it was also a recognition um, on Bill's part that um, if, if, if he's not going to be okay with me doing some, innovative programming or kind of thinking outside of the box. And, you know, it sounds so cliche to say, you know, me put my mark on things. Mm -hmm. Um, But having that trust that um, I'm not going to muddle in the things that have gotten us through those first 50 years, but also acknowledging and respecting that I have a little bit different view of the landscape as to where this organization can go Mm. and should go. And, and respecting my decision-making on I'm going to lead along with my team uh, where we need to be. I, th- I think that has helped tremendously. And at the end of the day, it is that open, honest communication mm. um, where I, I can't sit and say, well, yeah, you promised me you're not going to go back and change my decisions or 
if I make a decision and one of the people on my team go to, you know, and great, Bill has has a team, had a team that people have been with him for 30 years mm-hmm. and saying, oh, yeah, now Kevin's trying to change it and make us do it this way, mm-hmm. you know, and have him say, don't worry, let me talk mm-hmm. to him. Um, that it wouldn't have worked. Joe. Right. Right. You know, frankly, I, I, I don't I couldn't see myself staying at this organization if that scenario right, had continued right, to play right. out. Uh, you know, even once, you know, right. and I, and he did say again, you know, you need to call me on it if I misstep, mm. but I, and I, but I also remember saying, um, I will, but I'll only do it one time mm. because if you and I have to keep having this conversation right. about, right. you know, where things should go or should not go, um, that means you're not ready to let go mm. and that's okay. Right. Um, you know, no harm, no foul. Um, but what I found to be the case more so than, you know, I'm the CEO, you're the, the you know, the, beyond titles, um, that, you know, that historical perspective and knowledge has served me very mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you know, I, I, I stopped short of saying, you know, well, you know, he's the mentor on all of this stuff, but in a sense he is, mm-hmm. you know, he, you know, that foundational experience that he had in those battles that he fought and the decisions that were made 50 years ago, um, I continue to build upon them. You know, it's like, why do I need to recreate the wheel? Right, right. Yeah. And, and knowing too the kind of the scrappiness in the early days and, and his, That's right. and he really had a lot of experiences probably that there's no need to have to repeat those, That's right. repeat That's those right. again. That's right. And That's um, well, so, you know, I think maybe a, a nice kind of way to transition from, from that is, is to think about like what you are seeing for Manchester Bidwell now. And I think the best way to do that is to talk about these different affiliates and what their work means to you and what where you yeah, see that going. Yeah. Um, so let's start talking about about Bidwell. Okay. What, what does workforce training mean to you? Yeah. Um, in, in, in short, job ready. Mm. Um, you know, I... When I look back through our history and, um, you know, looking at how we were so heavily immersed in the building trades Mm -hmm. at one time um, and um, how we engaged our students and potential employers were, um, we're going to train in these areas, we're going to graduate X number of students, and we're going to keep our fingers crossed that you're going to get a job. Mm. And, you know, in those early days of doing the work, while, you know, Pittsburgh certainly had a greater need for individuals with skill sets in the building trades, um, oftentimes it didn't net us the results that we wanted by way of, because for me, at the end of the day, it's about getting a family sustaining job. Right, right. Um, so um, we can think that we're training um for in in a field that's going to need a hundred employees over the next year um but if we're wrong we have not moved the needle on Mm. people securing Mm. um employment where they can take care of themselves can take care of their family you know if we fast forward um you know i think that and i think the 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 changing or the or the pivot for that thinking was is when we started working with the in our industry partners up front mm. and bringing them to the table and asking, you know, where's your industry going and what types of skilled workers are you going to need mm. for your open positions in the next three, five, seven years? Um, that little pivot in the way we approach the work, um, you know, made all the difference in the world. Right. 
Right. Um, and I kind of use that even today as my North Star as different companies, you know, there's more tech companies that are moving into Pittsburgh or, you know, different industries will say, hey, we have this need. Um, can you do a training program? Um, I like having the conversations and doing the what ifs. Um, but if there's not going to be a critical mass of jobs available to the graduates when they're done, um, I, I'm real hesitant to say, yes, let's mm. throw our hat in that ring. And I have to, I have to imagine, you know, because if your if your background until NBC was was not adult career training, right? But you have the care for the individual and their families that comes from your time at Holy Family, right? And then you have the very practical funding mindset from the Pittsburgh Foundation. That's right. It's like those two pieces feel like they've, they've given you this sort of synthesis to evaluate something that will, will be true regardless of the, the specifics of the programming. Like, right. does it serve the people well? Does it make sense of the resources available? So it's really interesting just to think that like you were able to move into that, that leadership role in that for Bidwell without necessarily having to have decades of workforce training right. experience. Right. And, and, and I think that's how I approached that end of our business. But again, at the end of the day, what was critically important to me, you know, we, we can enroll a thousand students up front, right? But if only a hundred make it through the back door and uh, an even less number actually secures a sustain, sustainable job, right? Then I have to question, what are we doing? Mm. You know, mm -hmm. it's not, it's not about how many students I enroll up front. Right. For me, it's about how many students that I, when, you know, at graduation ceremony, when I shake their mm -hmm. hand, that I can look at them and I know for a fact right. that either you've started a job in the field that you chose, mm -hmm. or I know you're going to start within two weeks of graduation. Right. 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 That's the That's reward. Success. That's right. success. Right. Right. Me. Right. That makes that makes a lot of sense. When, when you kind of now are looking down the line a little bit, where, where, what changes do you see coming for Bidwell in the next three, five years? Yeah, I, I, I really do believe that Bidwell can be a major player in training employees um, for the jobs of, you know, it sounds so cliche for jobs of the future. Mm -hmm. Again, the tech industry is taking off like wildfire here. Mm -hmm. We've already had a number of preliminary conversations with some companies in terms of what they're viewing, their needs are going to be over the next three years. Um, you know, I'm fortunate to have an executive director for Bidwell now, um, who is somewhat of a visionary thinker. Um, she's real open to let's have an exp you know, exploratory conversation on what that may mean. Mm -hmm. um, she's open to me con continuously pushing how can we continue to truncate the length of time that our students have in the program without, you know, uh, you know, you know, you know kind of any diminution of the quality or the standards that we're putting forward. Mm -hmm. So, again, it's about that, you know are our graduates work ready? Mm. You know, are we giving them the most rigorous, intense experience they can possibly have that when they leave our school, that they are ready the very next day to hit the job and be, pre and feeling like they're prepared to mm. make a difference mm -hmm. in their, you know, various, various employers. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just thinking about, about Bidwell and, and the sort of, um, unique model that it, that, it, that it has. Like, I don't really know of another workforce training program, at least in our area, that starts with that industry partner like that. And, right, and right. Um, when, you, when you think about 
you know, these these adults kind of going out into the workforce, what, what do you see as sort of the obstacles for them making that kind of a transition from being a student in our classrooms to? Yeah. Um, the obstacles that I see um, are not related to their confidence that I can do the job. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's that's what we were really good at, is giving them that confidence and the associated skill sets that I can see myself in any of these companies performing the work that I'm asked to do. I, I think um, that the one area that, you know, um, that, that they're kind of insulated a little bit more when they're here with us is, you know, the, those, you know, things that I call life gets in the way, mm. you know, so, you know, if you, while you're a student with us, if your car battery dies or, you know, you're in arrears with your light bill or, mm. um, you know, you, your bus pass is, 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 is lost, you know, we kind of take care of those little life mm. things to, you know, can I help keep you focused and, right. um, which is why for me, it's critically important that you secure a job that is family sustaining. Mm. So you have a better than average chance right. of navigating those things that, you know, that happen to all of us that right, are right. oftentimes, in, you know, a nuisance and you're annoyed by it. But at least now I know you have the skill sets. Um, you, you've secured a good job that you can navigate those, right, those barriers. Right. And that's such a different philosophical sort of stance than what I, I feel like a lot of university models are now where like, you know, I, I, I was, I've talked with Kim about this before too. That's just like, it feels like the big difference with Bidwell is that we start you off with that end goal in mind of, right. of the job right. that this is for. And I know, I don't know what your college experience was like. I know from my college experience, there might've been a career day, but like for the most part, I was there for that degree, and then afterwards, I was kind of on my own. Well, well yeah. Well, and frankly, as long as tuition was paid, I don't know that right. anybody was calling saying, "Hey, you're not going to get your degree this semester." Right. I'm still waiting for that first first phone call, whether it be from grad school or um, undergrad, where someone saying, "Hey, did you get a job?" Um, you know, not that you know I didn't meet people or professors along the way that weren't invested in me mm-hmm. succeeding or doing well. Um, I don't think I could have gotten. Uh, to where I, I was then and now if it weren't for a couple committed professors who really wanted to see me do mm-hmm. well. Um, but it's, it, it is a whole different mindset. And we tell our graduates, and you know, and it's just not lip service, I mean it sincerely, that if you find yourself in a jam or there's a bump in the road or um, you're changing employers, let us know. Mm. You know, the, the resources that we employ to help you while you were a student we have those same resources and chances are we've added to that pool of resources. So, and frankly, a lot of our, you know, students, they will kind of take us up on that offer. You know, if they, if they find themselves in at a crosswords and not quite sure what to do with it, you know, they reach back out. Wow. That's great. So moving away from, from Bidwell for a minute, let's talk about MCG youth and arts. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so that's the program that you are familiar with for the longest right. through Holy Family. Right. Where do you see it, where it's at, and where do you see it going? Yeah, um, I think MCG Youth and Arts is a is an amazing, um, you, know, the, you know, the social worker in me, you know, out of school time mm-hmm. um, program, an after school program. Um, but 
when I view the program, you know, and I oftentimes would ask myself, and and you know, the 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 you know, teaching artists are are very skilled in their own right, um, and they are engaging the kids in arts and cultural activities um, of their choosing of of you know whatever interests the kids. But at the same time, I look at it as so if I have you in our building for three hours after school what do I hope to accomplish with you in those three hours? Mm. Is it to make um, a beautiful piece of ceramics? Is it to take some beautiful photographs? Um, Is it to learn how to do the additive process and 3D printing? And that's our goal. Or is is, is our goal to take those three hours, use the arts as a vehicle and platform, to get you to think about your place in this world a little bit differently. Mm. You know, and what I mean by that is, is that um, I think if, if parents are agreeing to have their child with us, sometimes up to five days a week in an after-school program, it's incumbent upon us to explore all areas of interest with this young person mm-hmm. and do our best with those three hours that we have to help them fulfill their dreams or their aspirations. So th- I would say the, the one thing that has gotten me really excited about that program, and it's been a lot of work over the past year or so, is, um, it, you know, and, and I, I don't say this to be demeaning, that it's gone from just an after-school youth and arts program. Mm-hmm. Because we did, we did a, we even then did a lot of the elements that would suggest it's a quality uh, youth development program Mm -hmm. but now we bring them to the fore we're unapologetic about it we're saying we're running a youth development program Mm -hmm. using the arts as a vehicle to reach the kids right so again i i'm happy if you made a, a piece of ceramics then um it's beautiful and you're happy with it but then it's always now what um Okay, so you did that. Now what? Right. What else can What else can we do for the time that we have you with? Right. Um, and it's not about um, I'm here to meet your needs or to help you do something. Um, it's about that relationship to reach them on their level because um, I can imagine that if I were at this program when I was a T15, you know, 14, 15 mm-hmm. year old, and it's you know I'm here to help you. Chances are I would be thinking, well, who asked you for your help? Right, right. You right. Know, how do you know what I need? Mm-hmm. You didn't ask me. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the one thing um, that I've learned back from my days at Holy Family that it has carried forward with me today. Um, kids are brutally honest. Mm. All you got to do is ask them, sit and sit and be quiet and talk with them instead of, you know, I'm the authority figure. I know what you need. If you would just do this, because again, I don't, mm. I don't walk in their shoes. I don't know their world. Right. You know, I, can guess some things. I can imagine some things. Um, but for me, it's about that upfront relationship where um, there's a certain mutual trust. Right. Um, before it's, you know, let me help or let me tell you what I think you need. Mm. Um, so I think some of those foundational changes with the program, and it's not just about um, the art classes. You know, we, we incorporated um, taking the kids to um, ver- various college campuses. Um, because, you know, if you listen, when I was listening, I was hearing them say, oh, you yeah, know, college isn't for me. 
But if you're you're looking underneath or behind some of those words, what they were saying to us is is that one, I don't know anybody who's gone to college. Mm. Nobody in my family maybe has gone to college, and I can't even imagine myself on a college campus. Right, right. Um, so you know what? Let's get in a van and go for a field trip. Right, right. And then once you see, you know, that this is not such a big, scary place, and there are other kids here who may be a little intimidated by the environment that look just like you, mm. they begin to see themselves in, 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 not just in, but as participants in this world. Mm. Um, that Civic, civically engaged is what we've been Civically saying. engaged, yep. absolutely, yeah, yeah, and yeah. making a difference. Right. That's what it's about for me. So that's why we do things like that. That's why we have um, university professors come and, you know, teach a course that the kids are interested in. So once they leave here and if they do want to go on to college, they already have a couple credits under mm-hmm. their belt. Mm-hmm. They know what it's like right. To, right. to learn at that level. Mm. Do you see? Do you see any in yourself when when you think about MCG Youth and Arts, and then you think back to how you had to think through serving in Holy Family? Do you see parallels between those two, and how your mind has to work thinking about the kids? Um, I, I think I think there's a level of of consistencies, and um, what I mean by that is is that even even with some of the horrific things that many of the kids went through at Holy Family when I was there, um, you know, those messages mean everything, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big um, advocate of, of watching labels mm-hmm. and that words matter, mm-hmm. particularly with our young people, mm-hmm. you know, so when you're talking to them about you're broken, you're abused, you were neglected, as a young person, um, having gone through some of those things, mm-hmm. um, imagine what that does to your psyche is that's being reinforced. Mm. I'm here because I was abused. I was here because, you know, I was molested. All of that negative stuff versus um, some horrible things happened to you in your past. But you're a great individual, and it's my hope that I'm going to give you the opportunities mm. that you may not have had in mm. the past mm-hmm. to be the best you possible. Mm. Same thing with the kids here. Many of them, you know, they've they've heard, you know, I... I I come from a poor neighborhood or I come from this or I'm not or I'm that or I, I can't learn. I'm not a good student. Mm. Nonsense. Right. You know, they just may not have had the same opportunity as some other kids. Mm. So I think it's part of our job and our role here is give them the opportunities, mm. mm-hmm. um, give them the resources, give them the opportunities and get out of their way and watch how great that they can be. Mm. That's great. That's great. Um, so thinking, you know, so, so we've got Bidwell, we're doing a adult career training we've got mcg youth and arts we're doing youth development through the arts and then we have jazz there's MCG, more there's more <laughs> you're not done <laughs> and, and, you know so we, so we have mcg jazz which is you know has its own um history with this organization yeah um, how do you think about jazz and and what it's contributing to the larger mission of, of manchester bidwell yeah i i think um in addition to, uh, you know, offering some amazing, amazing live jazz performances for the community, um, I think uh, MCG Jazz has yet to hit its stride in terms of, um, you know, a, a, a deeper fit and connection with some of the other programming. Um, you know, I look at some of the things that are being proposed now as, you know, you know, utilizing our, our music 
uh, and video archive a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, what we're proposing as the classroom of the future and reaching out not to just universities or or, uh, you know, uh, high schools or what have you. I think we, you know, we, we've scratched the surface a little bit in terms of introducing middle school students mm-hmm. um, to the art of jazz and what it means and what it stands for. Um, I think our best days are yet ahead of us, mm-hmm. um, thinking a little bit more outside of the box in terms of introducing, you know, young musicians who have a passion for the music, um, highlight, you know... I, 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 I sat uh, in a number of shows and, I, and I'm thinking that um, and I've gone to, you know, to down to the cultural district and seen some, you know, a couple young uh, uh, kids playing jazz music. And I sit in our auditorium and I think to myself, what an amazing potential um, experience it would be for these young teenagers mm. to maybe play one or two songs with the jazz icons that we bring to our stage. Mm. And that's how we introduce them to this wonderful thing that we call MCG jazz. Um, To the best of my knowledge, um, I don't know that we've ever kind of stretched that far. Mm. You know, we've had some younger, you know, kids play, you know, know, we call it our house band here and there, but, but just think about introducing a young Jonathan Zito Mm -hmm. to the Pittsburgh (laughs) jazz audience by way of being on our stage with professionals you know we do that a little bit on 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 the art side with our gallery where you know the gallery isn't just for the professional artists Mm. that we have hung our our kids work right alongside of those professional artists and showcase their work like we would a professional right right. um so again i in addition to continuing to provide world-class jazz musicians uh, at, at our place, I think the sky's the limit in terms mm-hmm. of how we think about um, that end of our business and how we kind of incorporate some other thinking. So when we think about you know jazz, youth art, adult career training altogether, I mean that's not even getting into the nitty gritty of what's in Bidwell. You know, in terms of the greenhouse yeah. and the chem lab and the culinary and, and all of those things. You know, all of these things together. You know, I really do, and, and it's part of the reason why I, I am proud to be part of this organization too, is it feels like the most direct line to encouraging human flourishing that you could have in a career. And to me, the, the thing that, that encapsulated best is that this is what philanthropy is, you know, the love of your fellow man is what that's supposed to be. When you think about what we do here versus charity quote unquote yeah, yeah can you yeah. talk i know we've talked about this before but tell me a little bit about what your thoughts about philanthropy versus charity and what we do here yeah you know uh when i was working in philanthropy um there were there were different types of of funding buckets if you will that there were donor advised funds or field of interest funds there's unrestricted dollars and on any given grant cycle you kind of pulled from different buckets Um, depending on what what the proposal was and what the request was. And I remember reading um, the purpose of, I believe it was a field of interest fund when I first started doing uh, philanthropy um, that that stuck with me then that I think resonates with me today. Um, And when I read what the fund was intended to do, it simply said, 
um, use the fund to alleviate the condition of human suffering. Mm. And um, I thought to myself, like, wow, that that takes in a whole lot. Mm. Um, And at the same time, it was extremely thought provoking. Mm. Mm -hmm. If for no other reason, it's, you know, what one perceives as the condition of human suffering may not equate to the next person mm-hmm. in, in, in terms of the, the you know, the, the, your condition or what does that mean for you? Um, I think in a sense, some of that comes through um, in how we approach our work here, you know, not necessarily using those words, but oftentimes when individuals come to us and it was the, you know, one of the other things that I was adamant about changing um, on the adult career side, you know, we had set days for admissions and tours and, mm-hmm. you know, fill out your application. And um, I thought to myself, well, what about that individual who showed up on the day where we're not accepting mm-hmm. applications or we're not available to meet and talk about here's our program offerings? Right. right. Um, yeah, if their life doesn't align with our schedule. If our life yeah, doesn't, yeah, 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 or yeah. if our schedule doesn't align with right, their life. Right, 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 right. Um, and I thought, no one here knows what it took for that individual to show up on our doorstep. Right. Um, you don't know how they had to get here. Did they have to take public transit? Transit, maybe you know, a couple different buses or what dollars they needed to scrape together to pay Mm -hmm. their fare. Um, And how dare we Mm. say you're here on the wrong day? Right, right. Um, If you showed up, that's the right day. Mm. And yes, somebody's going to be available to say, this is what you need to do. Let, if you're asking for us to help you Mm -hmm. do this, then we have to be prepared mm. to respond in kind and saying, yes, we will help. We're not going to do it for you, but we will help. So in that sense, I don't view it as charity mm. or handout at all, at all. You know, that this, this notion of philanthropy in my mind, in my opinion, is giving people the resources that they may be lacking Um. And that's where the help stops. We're going to provide you with the resources, mm-hmm. but you too have to do some work, right. hard work, right. Um, right. which is, you know, with our student body, which is why, you know, people will say, well, why do you make them come here five days a week and they're here six, seven hours a day? Well, it's a work day. It's a work day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your job is to come here and take advantage of this opportunity right. that we're providing you. And at the end of your eight, nine, 10 months with us, um, you are prepared right. to enter into the workforce. Right. So again, it's like I'm not giving you some handout or doing it for you, mm-hmm. or I've never once said it's not going to be difficult or challenging. Right, right. Um, but I will surround you with a supporting cast of individuals who care. They're not going to care more than you. So if you don't mm-hmm. care, we're not going to do it for you. Right, right. But if you're demonstrating that you want something different for yourself and your family and you care about your future, we're going to care just mm-hmm. as much. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing that's that's a part of our organization and part of our legacy is facilitating versions of what we do somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So that that's been done in a number of different ways. It's the the uh, through NCAT through the National Centers for Arts and Technology that um, you know there's that sort of network of centers 
that have been, been founded then, then more recently through our um, our work in the workforce and opportunity centers in, yeah. in Pennsylvania. But now even, you know, there are organizations that come to us that maybe just a piece of what we do is applicable and we're, yeah. we're kind of coming alongside. When you think about um, seeing this work continued in other communities, what, what does that process look like to you? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've had the benefit of, you know, I joined the organization when um, the work in my estimation was uh, pretty prescriptive mm. um, that there, you know, there was, you know, it was, it was a very linear approach that you do a, then you do B, then you do C and you have to have um, a youth program and an adult career training program. Mm. And you contract it with us for X amount of dollars to, and we're going to guide you through this process and uh, frankly, it, it, I was never able to wrap my head completely around mm. the process and the model um, on a couple different levels. Um, and one you just alluded to that, that I'll, I'll, I'll mention again because I think it bears repeating. Um, but starting with uh, the amount of money that we were asking these startup mm-hmm. and nonprofits, and, and essentially they were a startup nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Uh, to raise, um, and it wasn't to run your startup nonprofit. It was to pay our fee mm-hmm. to impart what we believed uh, your city needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could never wrap my head around that totally. Um, you know, having having worked in the you know, nonprofit field my entire life, I could not imagine um, having to raise almost two million dollars out the gate. Mm. Um, in order to um, address an issue or to um, uh, or, or, or to put into place my mission and begin the work on my mission if I were starting a nonprofit. So that, that never made sense to me. It also never made sense to me that regardless of and, and why there was always a disconnect for me is that we would say up front, um, I don't live in your city. I live in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. So you have to tell me what your needs are in your city in order for me to respond. And yet, um, we would do a feasibility study that oftentimes um, took a a great deal of time um, to come back to the individuals who may have originally approached us to validate what they told us a year earlier. Mm. So if you're coming to me and saying, Here's my unemployment rates. Here's my high school dropout rates. Right, here's right. here's the demographic of the city I live in. Here's uh, what's going on with violence or drugs, and on and on and on. All of these you know social determinants. Right. Um, and we'll we'll say, well, a year later we're going to come back and validate what you just right, told me. Right, right. That also didn't sit well with mm-hmm. me. Um, and what you had mentioned, kind of in the question, is is that. Um, by admission, I may not know exactly all of the programs that are in your city, but if you're telling me we have a stellar after-school program for youth, mm-hmm. however, what we really, really need is a stellar adult career That's training right, program right, yeah. because here are the industries in our city right. and they're telling us we can't find employees to fit this bill. Right. Um, why wouldn't we just work with you to focus on what you're identifying is the need for right. your city. Right. And that's not to say that 
um, the, the, the program or the organization or school or whatever you, you call it can't partner with that youth out of school program, mm-hmm. but why would you reinvent another one right, when you right. may have one or two or three in your city that are meeting the need? Right. Yeah. And making it a lower barrier of ent- barrier of entry for getting the work done. That's right. Right. That's right. Yeah. You know, so even, you know, just approaching it from, you know, let's, let's validate what you're coming to us with initially. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of reduces that engagement by a whole year. Um, now, there may be some things that you want to fact check or, you know, kind of broaden the scope of the thinking a little bit. Um, but for, for me to say, well, well, no, that's not your high school dropout rates, you know. Right. Sure they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any, anybody can Google them and, right, and look right. for a particular city. Um, somebody in San Francisco can look at the high school dropout rates in Pittsburgh. It's online. Right. right. It's no secret, you know, but for me, it's about meeting the individual or the group where they are um, and making it crystal clear up front. You know, one of one of my favorite things is is, is to say now and um, because, you know, people have called me and has been upset with me when, you know, this whole notion of um, remember, I said words matter and they mm-hmm. say, well, you're going to build us a city and, and I'll, <laughs> I'll build, build us a, a school. And I say, no, I'm not. Um, I don't build, <laughs> I don't build centers. <laughs> right. I don't build schools. Right. Right. Um, you know, the only one that, you know, and I wasn't even here when this one got built, right. Um, right. But we don't do that, you know, right. because they have this notion in their head that, um, they come to us and we're going to magically do something mm. and they just may need to show up at the ribbon cutting ceremony. Right. And, right. And it's saying, no, um, it's work. Right. And you're going to need a group of committed individuals, funders, community leaders, what have you, industry partners, if this is going to work Mm. in your city. And that goes back to what we were saying back at the beginning of this, too, which is like, don't get into this work if you're not going to see it through. That's right. And and what it's going to take to see it through is going to be some personal cost, probably. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And a personal commitment. You know, and and I, I have said to some groups that, you know, we may not know everything Um, you know, so I don't know if I can tell you everything a hundred percent, this is what you should do. But I think, um, we've been at this long enough where we can say, don't do that. Mm, Um, mm -hmm. you're going to waste a whole lot of time Mm -hmm. and a whole lot of money and disappoint a whole lot of people. If you take this path instead of saying, um, you know, that there, 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 there is a logical mindset that needs to happen when you approach the work. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but again, it, it's it's putting the individuals who approach us first. And, you know, sometimes it's just as simple as kind of listening to what they're asking for and them telling you what they need mm. and then seeing if we can respond in kind. And isn't that such like a great sort of reapplication of how we do everything we do? It's That's like, right. You know, we meet the adult students where they're at. We meet the kids where they're at, you know, and, and we let them sort of be who they are and work in conjunction with us that's right as opposed to us from on high that's right dictating and, and, and maybe that's why sometimes i bristle when i hear like um you know cities or communities are replicating what mm. we do and it's like is it a replication or are you is it an um, application or is it an Appli- app- or, yeah, yeah, or yeah. is it an application that's a good yeah, word or is, yeah. it, or is it an application of the model right right um that that you're making fit your need right. in your city mm-hmm. so for, for those who are listening, that's that's the spectrum of what we do. 
right? Those, all of those different things, um, adult career training, youth development, jazz performance and, uh, and jazz education, uh, application of our principles in other communities. Um, it's, a, it's a big mission, but when you look out sort of over the horizon of what's coming, what are the things that you're most excited about that are coming our way that we haven't, we haven't maybe engaged in yet that, that are going to be available to us? You know, what it psychs me, um, you know, we, we've been at this 54 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think um, as, as we kind of look to the future, um, you know, and, and, I, and I said it about jazz, but I think if I kind of take the pulse of the whole organization, I think uh, some of our best days are mm. yet to come. Mm. Um, as long as we kind of um, remain true to the mission, mm-hmm. um, remain open to ideas. Um, the other thing that it, that excites me is, is that um, while there are individual 501c3s by way of our affiliates, mm-hmm. that um, the leadership in this organization um, presenting as one, we are one organization marching in the same direction mm-hmm. um, to fulfill the mission that started 50-something years ago. Yeah. Um, in my mind, how could that not be exciting? Yeah. And, and to be a part of something like that for is the foreseeable future. Um, uh, I, I can honestly say in the seven years I've been here, um, I genuinely get up every day and I'm happy to come to work. Mm-hmm. And while... Um, there's a reason why they call it work. Right, a lot sure. of days at the end of the day, I'm tired. Right. Um, but I leave here happy and I look forward to what's the next day going mm. to bring, mm. um, you know, in the work that we all do. Yeah. I mean, I can speak to that too. I mean, there's, there's so many versions of work where you are either just tolerating it, <laughs> you know, or waiting for it to be over, actively fearing your work. I, I, and I've been in all of those settings in my past too but now to be at a place where i am tired sometimes at the end of the day sometimes it's a lot of information to take in at once and have to have to synthesize but every time i i stop and i think about what i'm doing there's there's that immense uh, simultaneously there's pride in feeling like i've i'm doing my part to leave the world better than i found it by supporting this work and there's also some unfulfilled enthusiasm still of, of knowing what, what more there can be. Yeah. And it's yeah. great. It's, 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 it's what I think human flourishing for the, the employee should be too. And I think that's the other thing that I'm, I'm, I'm always so grateful for here um, is that as an employee, I feel cared for knowing that I'm also enabling the care of others Right. Too, right, you know, right, and I right. feel like in a lot of nonprofits, that is not the case. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of <laughs> burned down your employees. To- oh, well, well, you know, and and I hope that's that's the type of, um, you know, manager, supervisor, CEO that that I portray, and that it comes across it comes across as being genuine. That, um, you know, and maybe it's from my social work background and um, having done some work with people who are caregivers, it's like. Oftentimes I would ask, you know, that you're a caregiver, Jonathan, mm. who's caring for the caregiver? Mm-hmm. And in some small way, 
if I'm not making sure that the people I have surrounded myself with aren't cared for, then right. I can't expect them to be their best selves and mm. taking care of the people that come to us and trust us right. with the next part of their journey. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and talking over all of this. Oh, this um, is I'm, great. I'm sure we will have more conversations. <laughs> there's, there's a lot to talk about, but I, I'm really eager for this conversation to kind of frame all of the future conversations I have with you, with other leadership team members, other, other, uh, participants or recipients of our work. Um, and so I, I really am grateful for the opportunity to kind of kind of set that scope. Um, oh, yeah. I appreciate it. It was great. In Earnest is a production of the Manchester Bidwell Corporation. If you found this conversation moving or inspiring, we'd appreciate your support. Your contribution will go directly to continuing this life-changing work. For more information and to donate, visit manchesterbidwell.org. Thank you.